calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. What's up, Rebels? We're back with a new episode of Rebel Radio. Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is now available on the Dash Radio Network, the Hot Button channel. Check us out with a new episode every Wednesday on DashRadio.com. Shout out to DJ Ski. You can also find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud at Rebel underscore radio. This week's episode features an interview with my man, The Mike B, a.k.a. Brillstein. Mike was my uh, wedding DJ. And he's also festival, club DJ, house producer, man of many talents. He, um, he's going to tell us some interesting lessons about just living life with no fear. This dude has walked away from a successful TV show, from multiple jobs and opportunities that, that really just didn't fit his life. He's wanted to play music as, as long as he can remember. And everything he's done has been to get him in that direction. But uh, before we do that, Let's check out the EDM.com track of the week. This week's track is from Tiga. The song is called Bugatti, and this is the Tommy Trash remix. Here we go. Tiga with the EDM.com track of the week, Bugatti. If you liked it, go to EDM.com and find a whole bunch more music that you're going to like. Meanwhile, let's get into the interview with the Mike B. Yo, thanks for coming, man. It's, My pleasure. It's been a long what time, I think. What were you doing last night? Sorry. Where was I last night? Yeah. I was at home. Oh. I was expecting you to be doing off? something fun. No, no, I rarely leave the house. What's a day off for Mike B? Um... Well, it really depends. I mean, I watch. I would say I watch a fair amount of television. Okay. <laughs> and uh, 
Well, I mean, I work out of my house, so it's mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's hard to gauge when is is a day off it's and when is yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So I mean, sometimes I'll just, I'll close if I close the door to the studio. That's a day off, I think, because mm-hmm. like I think sometimes I'll stay in there so long that. Um, like I'll somehow hurt like my ankle from sitting or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, I'll just like sit in the same position for like sixteen hours or something, and then yeah, like, if I ever like can't walk right when I stand up or something, I'll just right. turn off all the computers and and lock the door, and then uh, and then that's that's when the day off. Nice. Happens. That's good. Is your, what, what are you watching on TV right now? Um, I mean, I just like to watch TV in general. Yeah. It's just good. It's nice to have like one. I mostly TV? sleep through it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm watching True Detective at the moment. Uh, Do you understand what's going on? Because I still don't. Have I didn't idea. see last night, um, or two nights, or so I didn't see Sunday nights yet. Um, oh, okay. But I, I think I get it. It's like these cops are trying to figure out this <laughs> crime. Oh my god! Yeah, I heard of that. It's I mean, not that deep. I mean, people get like real confused by it, but it's re- it's just like it's like a pretty in depth episode of SVU or something. Um, right. Do you think Rachel McAdams is doing a good job? Yes. I love her. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she doesn't need any help from me. I think she's doing pretty good. Yeah, career. pretty much. She's awesome. Yeah, she's very talented. I think it's funny, <clears throat> like people's music taste and movie or TV taste don't don't necessarily line up, right. and you would kind of think they would. In what sense? Like, what do you mean? Well, like, I'm a sort of indie, like I tend to like indie music, right? And I tend to like indie movies. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't leave me too much on TV, right? Because it's not really indie TV. I guess there's like web video, but but that's not really what I like watching, right? Right. So, uh, but then like you know, other like I remember my old partner Raymond, mm-hmm. like you know, super indie music guy, like underground music, but then he would just go watch all the big blockbusters, right? Like he just he loved you know, yeah, that is funny. you know the mainstream films, and for me like that was always just hard to reconcile like <laughs> they, they just seem like they don't fit together not that they have to no i know just, what you mean because i mean i i don't i i never i never fe- i never feel right like going to those movies either just i guess because everything else i do is so kind yeah. of punk rock in a way that yeah, yeah exactly I, you don't you don't want to like uh yeah, it's not cool. It's like it's still the man in some way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it's like you're supporting the man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like did the sex pistols go see star wars in the in the theater? Maybe. Probably. But right? that was when they was only but, like, they put out like three movies. That's a year true, right? Like you didn't have like there wasn't really indie. <laughs> you just film had to go see there. whatever there was. So, but like, did Link One Eighty Two go see like American Pie in the theater? Probably Definitely, not. they did. Yeah, I mean they were really. I mean they weren't an indie band, really. No, that's true. Okay, I need a better example. I remember I used to. I gotta say, I mean, even before they got signed to a label, I remember not liking them. So I was pretty proud of myself. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so Kurt Cobain in high school. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, like you saw his the documentary. He was like mad loner. Like I did not see the documentary. Oh, I'll be honest. Watch, is it, watch is that it shit. Really good? Uh, uh, it's uh, very, everyone got um, very very uh, upset when I didn't see the documentary. By the way, no, it's not, it's not like to be upset, but it's definitely intense. Like I definitely wo- thought about it for like three nights after I watched really? it. Really, it's like very, it's very. What intense. like what new information has been brought to light? Well, for me, it was that. Like, I knew, I wasn't really into that scene, right? So, you know, I knew their music. Right. I appreciate it, but it, it wasn't, it's not my music, right? Like, so I had no idea. Like, their shit before that first album was punk rock. Yeah, crazy. It was, I mean, it was as punk as mm-hmm. anything else. Just and head banging. 
Yeah, just like, you know, we're, I mean, it was, yeah. he was like influenced by Sex Pistols and all that stuff really heavily. And then what made the album was a lot more mainstream, bigger, you know, big guitar sounds and like, it just, it was different. But, you know, you heard the stuff before that and, you know, he was, they were punk. They were living that life. Sure. And so uh, that was a surprise for me because I, I didn't know about any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know the story of how sort of tortured and fucked up he was inside. You know, you could kind of guess. Yeah, I mean, like, I surmised that from the shotgun to the Yeah, yeah exactly. Scenario. No, that, so it wasn't like a surprise, <laughs> but it was like, yeah, you're like, oh my God. How did I, yeah, I, I mean, I knew, I guess I probably knew more about him than than average. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely more than me, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely more. So than you me. weren't into that at all? No, in fact, so what were you like? What were you listening to in nineteen ninety three? Ninety three was just hip hop, just hip hop <clears throat> exclusively. Yeah, I mean, at ninety three, I was probably listening to like samples too, so like jazz right. and rare groove and sure. funk and you know all that stuff. But you know, high school was like hip hop and whatever you know, new wave like Depeche Mode, Cure, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, we so we'd go to like Depeche Mode show and be the only kids not in all black. <laughs> and yeah. then we'd go to like a hip hop show and be the only kids who weren't black. Who weren't black, yeah. And uh, and we sort of just crossed those lines, you know. What about you? What did you grow up with? I was, I think, I was pretty lucky to always kind of have everything going on. Like I had two older brothers, mm. and one of them was like a super hippie, and the other one was like a super not hippie. <laughs> so like the one listened to all like. He listened to like Dead Kennedys and Crass and stuff like that, okay. and then the other one listened to like The Grateful Dead and and mm. uh, and like Almond Brothers, but was also into like like Tribe and and stuff like that. Oh, okay, um, but I mean, I guess that wasn't until later. Like, yeah. But um, but but the, so I guess like in the middle for me it was just like rap. Mm-hmm. So like I was getting into like Run DMC and stuff like that, and then they also had stuff like. My older brother played me Easy E mm-hmm. in like 1988 or something, and so that was I was just like, oh my, he's cursing so much. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I just want to like listen to this all the time. funny we talk about that now and i know the movie's coming out next week i'm uh, amazed that i lived long enough to see like a commercially released biopic about nwa yeah <laughs> well i mean and it it actually made me think a lot about how uh just how much i've seen it in such a short amount of time to where like it just brought me back to that time of like band records and mm-hmm. things that were really taboo to say and yeah mm-hmm. it was really really hard to get your hands on anything subversive like even as late as like the early 90s mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty crazy yeah like i was just thinking about like the two live crew i mean we saw like i saw a record get banned in my lifetime like that's mm-hmm. crazy like yeah. i feel like i grew up in like the 40s or something <laughs> like, totally. i was like that really happened like yeah. in my lifetime and like nwa and and just like 
what a shock it was <laughs> and like to my dad coming in and telling me like the music was anti-semitic and like that he had heard this and like i shouldn't be listening to any rap because they don't like jewish people or like it was just like there was so much like That's weirdness hilarious. around music and, and yeah. stuff like that but then now it's like any like five-year-old can just get on the internet and see the most like gnarly hardcore pornography <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's gone from like having to like get someone to go in and buy you a tape because it had a warning on it to like full access to anything that you want any time of the day yeah um like any song music that's not even out like yeah i feel like it's easier for me to like get my hands on songs than it is for like some of the artists that made the songs like for sure it's wild yeah yeah i mean it's I i wonder how that changes the game which game well uh definitely like the game of you know as a fan right right losing that scarcity and losing that taboo factor for me we're probably never gonna see a record band again yeah right right that's that's probably done but um i i mean i've as i guess i never lost my drive to uh to in to to take in the music mm-hmm. um and i'm still like a fan i think before anything else and i still just get most excited about like listening to other people's music nice and uh and i try to keep up with it in the same way that i used to like i used to like like i don't know if you remember like ice magazine and like yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that where it's like all it the would new have, releases yeah it would have the release dates for the next month and stuff like that and i would circle them and go to the record stores and when they didn't come out on that day i'd get all mad and uh and it's like it's like the same thing, except now uh, it moves so s- crazy fast that if you like, if you like a brand new rap artist, you could basically wake up like every day and hear two new songs, mm-hmm. where as opposed to waiting like months and months or sometimes years for their album to come out. Well, it's interesting. So we just had this, uh, you know, this feud, this Drake Meek Mill thing, right? Sure. I don't know. I tried to not follow it, but it's like. It's really, I mean, it's. I mean, all rap beef over the history of time has been silly. But this is like really stupid, right? Sure. Well, but so I don't want to pick on that, right? Because, you know, that's their reality, whatever, right? Maybe. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's I, their... it could be like like wrestling <laughs> antics too, though. Yeah, I think that's part of the game. But what I was gonna say is, what's what I'm finding so interesting about this is like. You know, the old days, like, these beefs would happen over months and months because it took a lot of time to make a record. Yeah. You had to fit into a release <laughs> schedule. You know, Ice Cube made no Vaseline. Like, that shit probably didn't come out for a year. Fuck all y'all. Goddamn, I'm glad y'all set it off. Used to be hard, now you're just wet and soft. Bert, you was down with the AK. And now I see you on a video with Michelet looking like straight bozos. I saw it coming, that's why I went solo. And kept on stomping. Well, y'all motherfuckers move straight out of Compton. Living with the whites, one big house, and not another nigga in sight. I started off with too much cargo, drop four niggas now. It's wild, right? You know, it's like, so. Yeah, well, you should just be like, I hate that motherfucker, and then you just go on with you, make a song about it, and go on with your life. Exactly. That, like, almost seems more staged because it's like, oh, I'm so mad, I'm gonna write something. And in nine months, like, they're going to feel my pain, right? Like, right. now it's just like, <laughs> you know, Drake went in that day, he cut it, you know? Well, yeah. Well, it's like, I, that's kind of what I was saying before, is like, the way that the music information moves is like, 
is so fast and there's yeah. no filter for it that even an artist like Drake, who's, you know, arguably the biggest rap artist, if not like pop artist, mm-hmm. who's out there, there's still no one like it's still his choice. Like he can still go to his laptop and make a diss record and put it on YouTube right. like a dumb little kid. Yeah. With no you know, for all of his management and A and R's and and lawyers and whoever's there, like somehow like no one is being like, Maybe you don't do this. You know? Right. Like yeah. maybe you don't need to respond to this like angry, you know, Philly guy who you kinda sure. like looked out for and did a song on his album and mm-hmm. who his album came out last week and still all he's still like trying to call you out for some reason. Like right. uh the whole thing's really confusing to me. I mean I don't even want to like Drake, but I like I have to. He's just like so talented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um like I don't want to like his songs because he yeah. doesn't need me to. For sure. And like I don't like I shouldn't like something that's that broad, but like mm-hmm. He's just so talented. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. Like those songs are really good. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't like him at first. I didn't like his kind of popular stuff, but I think like I think he's just absolutely smashing it. Mm-hmm. And I love Meek Mill too. I think he's he's one of the best rappers out there. But also he's kind of boring. He's not as broad. He's not gonna reach like like young white girls are not gonna listen to Meek Mill. Mm-hmm. Probably um, this week they are, and then that'll be over. Well, they're gonna be like, no, they're just gonna be like, ew, he doesn't like Drake. Like, why? I don't understand. Like, what is writing? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it also doesn't bother me that someone else wrote Drake's verses. Like, who cares? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, that struck me, too, is like, I mean, that's something when we were young that probably, sure. w- that would have ended a guy's career. Well. Right? Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, we all, I mean. Maybe not ended. I mean, Dr. Dre never wrote a verse. Right. But no one was ever like, Dr. Dre is my favorite rapper. Right. I mean, they. Had, I guess so, that's right. It's like, it's, so that ghostwriting's. Not new, right? That's been happening forever. Yeah, but it was um, mostly. It I think it was mostly done for people who you knew were like personalities. Like we all knew Puffy wasn't writing his verses. We sure. all knew Dre wasn't writing his verses. Yeah, but Drake being the like introspective, like brooding, you know, emo mm-hmm. poet that he is, or whatever. It is. It's a little. Yeah. It's somewhat off-putting, but also, <laughs> I mean, he's put out like seven hundred songs in the last four years. Right. It's like fine. So he had some dude help him with some of them. Yeah, and I think which who he fully credited and whatever. Well, and I think it's back to your point, right? Like, is is if if Drake like makes you like his music, even though you sort of object to who he is as an artist, then it's not going to matter whether he wrote it shit or not. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, the music is the music. You're not going to go back and retroactively dislike something that you were bumping. Three months ago, I've I've never done that. Um, I try. I mean, I I I can honestly say I still listen to the Millie Vanilli album. I think it's fantastic. Nice. Uh, Do you play it out? No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, there's just no room for it. I would if I was playing in like a proper environment. Remake, mashup, or something. <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, I I, I I keep a separation between uh, you know my interests and and what sounds right in a nightclub. But uh, at least once a year, I'd say I listen to the Millie Vanilli album in its entirety. From really, the yeah. Wow, that's it's very big, it's a very funky album. That's a big statement. Well, you were talking about rap sort of being your thing as a kid do you remember when oh, you sure. first discovered that yeah absolutely what was run the dmc for sure which one um just turning on mtv and seeing the walk this way video i guess mm-hmm. so that was 84 85 mm-hmm. and uh i didn't even know who aerosmith was so that didn't yeah appeal to me as much but yeah i just think it was their like 
stomping dance with the like Adidas tongues like all up in your face, uh-huh. and the, like le- they just looked badass, and the song was like really funky. Yeah. And I guess so. I was like six at the time, five or six. Wow. And I just uh. <clears throat> It, I, it was the first thing I ever, like, I went to the record store, and they were like, what do you want? Like, it was, like, the first time they asked me. I was like, I want right. those guys with the, 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 the stance. Yeah, yeah. And it, was that the first record you bought? Uh, yeah, the first. It was I bought the I bought both tapes together. I got Run DMC and uh, and Raising Hell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, I guess Raising Hell was new. Yeah. But they were like you know there, there was no preview like you didn't re- you remember you right. used to like try to make sure you got the right one like you used to have to go to the record yeah, store and sure. be like I, I'm hoping this is it like I, I don't nec- I don't know the name of the song there's no way to really cross reference right and short of like singing it to a clerk you didn't have which I've done you know hundreds of times I remember this uh, uh, married with children episode about like he had a song stuck in his head oh uh, yeah, yeah. He's like running around the whole city singing it to record store <laughs> clerks trying to find it. That was really real. I mean, yeah. when I used to, when I was, you know, cut to like 10 years later and I'm buying records, I would, you know, we would go to raves in like San Bernardino. And so you would hear a record at like five or six in the morning on a Sunday morning and you'd be all, you know, like candy flipping and like what have you. But then like we would push through, like me and my friends would go and we would go to like Beat Nonstop mm-hmm. or Groove Riders or whatever was like. Yep. Whatever opened first, like some of them opened at like 11 on Sunday or some of them opened at noon and mm-hmm. it would a lot of times be the same DJs that you had seen the night before right. and like they'd be like walking up all the time and it was just like, you'd still have it in your head you'd be like, what was the one that was like, bah, 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 bah. you know, just like trying to do your best to imitate like some synthesizer that you had heard in your like drug addled mind at five in the morning and he would be like, yeah, yeah, man, that's, uh, you know, Joey Beltram or like what, <laughs> whatever it was <laughs> and uh a lot of times he would be like, no, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Like, please just leave me alone. <laughs> uh, and it would take years to find those, right? I'm still yeah. like, you know, uh, I still have like some cold case files out there. There's one <laughs> There's one record that I heard on a mixtape in high school that I have not been able to find. I, can I just pro- can't find it. I, I might be able to help you. Yeah. Like, we might wait. be able to solve this right now. What do you know about it? Nothing. It was like mixed in between a, a UB40. I thought it was UB40 for a long time. So I bought their entire catalog. Oh, I've done that. Like all the B-sides, all the like. Not specifically with UB40, luckily, but I mean, I've bought a lot of people's whole catalogs. Yeah, yeah. I've been like, to, wait, to try to look you, for you something. Just started not good. And you didn't it's not that them. Song. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I've pretty much given up on that. Do what? But what do you know? Like any words or? No. Now I'm gonna blank on everything. All good. Well, if you ever need help, hit me up because that's my favorite. It's like my favorite video game to play. Is like that's so I. I try to remember everything. Like, I think I've got most of it. Yeah. And I've gone, as soon as the, like, I realized the internet could be used for that, I was, like, very difficultly, like, trying to make phone calls to, like, Dutch record stores and get them to, like, mm-hmm. take my credit card number over that's the phone. Hilarious. And, like, you know, well, wait two months to receive a record in the mail and stuff like that. And that seemed very convenient at the time. Well, yeah, so I used to have a yellow, <laughs> like, a legal pad. Right. With, like, 
probably 10 pages of records that you know i wanted and so that was like my first month when napster came out oh yeah like every song i could find and you know shit that was out of print or whatever and yeah i remember the night the first time they said that like napster is going to be shut down tomorrow (laughs) and i had tickets that night to like to i think it was the up and smoke tour or something like that and then it was like no napster's gonna be shut down tomorrow i was like yeah you know what i can't leave the house oh my god that's so funny so how'd you get started djing i got started djing probably about 1990 Mm -hmm. um so i was 11 years old yeah (laughs) i was in yeah fifth grade i guess I had a job. But, uh. You were in fifth grade? Uh. Dang. I know, right? Crazy. That's nutty. So what was your first what was the first your uh, first set? My first set well my first set would have been at a sixth grade party. Okay. Oh um, playing with that the big blows kids. my mind. No, it w- I mean like I was in sixth grade. Oh oh oh. I mean like I started buying okay, records started. and like figuring out like how like what to do with them when I was about So like, did somebody introduce you to DJing or yeah, specifically, I, I mean, I, I, I wanted, I wanted the. They asked me, they're like, "Well, what do you want to do for your, uh, for your eleventh, for your tenth birthday?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I want, a, I want rappers to like come to the house and, <laughs> and rap, you know." Like my and uh, yeah, I specifically wanted like kid and play. Yeah, like, I was like, "Is that something that can happen? Like, can kid and play come and rap at our house?" I don't know. And they were like, "No, <laughs> obviously not." No. Uh, <laughs> Um, but like we can have a DJ come play, and I was like, yeah, like. Did you have to explain the kid and play is not anti-Semitic? Uh, no, 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 I think they got that. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, but you can have a DJ. I didn't know much about DJs. I just knew that rappers had them. Yeah. And so that was good enough for me. And so they had these dudes come, and they had like every song. Like they just came and they had like every dope song. Like they had like set, like you know a few boxes of records and a few boxes of CDs and like mm-hmm. anything that me or my friends were like play this. They were like had it all categorized. And oh I was my like, god, that's, that's awesome! Really cool. Yeah. And so those assholes basically are responsible for all of the nice you know, moving expenses that I've incurred. <laughs> you don't know who that was. Uh, I have no idea who those guys okay. were. So bless oh their hearts. Gosh, but um. So funny. If you DJed Mike B's uh, <laughs> 10th birthday party, then drop us a note on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. We want to hear from you. We do. He owes you a check. I do owe you a check, or you owe me a check. <laughs> somebody owes yeah. somebody. It balances out. Wait, remind us where we can find you on Twitter or online. Um, I, the Mike B on Twitter, the Mike B DJ on Instagram, the Mike B's with three E's and the the on Facebook. <laughs> Damn. There's no consistency. If right. you Google the Mike B, I'm on Google.com. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm the one. I'm the yeah. one that they talk about. <laughs> I love your Instagram. It's so funny. Thank you. It's really, I'm really glad funny. to hear that. I think we have the same sense of humor. Fantastic. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I, uh, I feel like it happens in bursts. Like I won't. I just forget about it sometimes. I guess I guess it's a combination of being like I'm. I'm as you know I'm from a generation that's like when you left the house like you were out of the house and mm-hmm. you didn't have phones and like you couldn't right. get to the party if you didn't have directions and stuff like that. So a lot of times like I guess instinctually I just like don't. I never think to take pictures of things as they're happening mm-hmm. or like tell people what's going on or right. anything like that. It's like. 
I left the house and I'm doing this and this is what's happening. But then a lot of times if I'm home and there's no one to talk to, it's like I just go in on the internet like real hard. Like at random, it'll be like, you know, seven in the morning on a Wednesday and I'm just like posting a ton of stuff. And that's when I like, it seems like I'll lose a lot of followers in those moments. That's funny. (laughs) Like people are like, oh, like you're all over. Like why is this guy putting pictures of things I don't understand on my thing? And I just want to like look at chicks or like whatever it is. Uh, Yeah. So do you think about that? Like, like you're, like I think you, you know, if you look at your social channels, you kind of bring a lot of personality to them. And is that, is that a plan? Like, are you marketing yourself at that point? Or you're just doing your thing? (laughs) There's never been a plan, man. Uh, Things have just seemed to sort of work out kind of. Okay. Like every year I make like a hundred more bucks. So, That's good. So why, so That's why, better than a hundred yeah. less. Exactly. So why does it why does it work out for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, no one knows for sure. I mean, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a that's a really it's a broad question, but it's also it can be like a very deep question. Um, why does it work out for me? I think I don't know. I've never thought about it, and I've just been I've either been lucky, or maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just unbelievably talented. I don't know. No one knows. <laughs> uh, I mean, I only know from my... I know I like music and I love playing it. It's like mm-hmm. the only thing that gets me out of the house. It's the only thing I actually care about. Um, like everything else that I do, like say things on Twitter or even like make my own music is just so I can like continue to DJ. Like I wouldn't do anything if I... Like right. I just want to go out and play music. Was it? So, was that... Did that... Was there a moment that you realized that? Yeah, like right, like as soon as I saw those guys DJ, right like, I was like, "That's pretty much all You're I like, ever wanted." This is my career. Yeah, so I just like for the rest of my life, like got C's and eventually like dropped out of school and just started <laughs> doing that full time. Um, what, what was your first like big break? My first big break would have been getting an internship for Stretch Armstrong. Um, I was in New York, going to Tisch mm-hmm. uh, in 1997. And I met Stretch through my brother-in-law at the time. And he, I guess he just liked what I had to say, and he gave me an internship, and then that turned into a full-time job. And was he, was that Stretch and Bobito at the time? That was post-Stretch, that was just, like, literally, like, the week that they stopped doing Oh, really? Okay. So Um, if if you're not familiar, go check out Stretch Armstrong online. He's one of the legendary... New York radio DJs did a lot to to change the game. He is, I mean, arguably the most relevant hip hop radio show yeah. ever. Uh, they're doing a docu uh, uh, the documentary about it. I believe is done mm-hmm. and it's coming yeah. out very soon. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it's. I mean, if you care about rap, it's pretty mind blowing stuff. And you you get to hear some things that haven't been heard since they happened live on the show at the time, which was like very underground. You know, it's college yeah. radio on a Thursday night in New York but even growing Mm -hmm. up in LA kids used to like I had a friend that I went to camp with who would record it in New York and mail me the tapes oh my god that's so crazy and like but it was nuts like I mean that's the first place I heard Biggie Mm -hmm. first place I heard Wu-Tang and Red Man and Mob Deep and all I mean it was very really relevant show Mm -hmm. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. At second hands, moms bounced on old man. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young youth, you're rocking the goat tooth. Low goose, only way I begin the G York was drug loot. And let's start it like this, son. Rolling with this 
one and that one pulling up gats for fun but it was just a dream for the team who was a fiend started smoking wolves at 16 and running up in gates and doing it um, but so meeting him was pretty amazing and then working for him was amazing. And then he was also just kind of transitioning. I don't know if he was transitioning. I think he was just getting tired of playing the same gigs all the time, but he would like, he would send me to open for him mm-hmm. when I was like, I was like 19. So it was like trial by fire. Basically mm-hmm. I'd never even <laughs> been in a nightclub. I'd certainly never been in like right. a New York like hood nightclub and he would just be like yeah just get there at 11 like bring some cool records like don't play anything that's like too current of a hit and like i'll be there at midnight and i'll take over and i would and it was just like it was a it was an awkward setting i mean you're talking about like you know there was like a thousand like dressed up like black folks like ready to go out on a friday night in new york and Mm -hmm. i'm like you're dj yeah i'm a 19 year old you know uh Jewish college student from Beverly Hills with like no idea what they want to hear yeah. on a Friday night just walking in there like I don't know Stretch told me to be here <laughs> that's wild I remember it wasn't working but then like I, I don't even I believe it was like uh, it was like juvenile or something like I put uh-huh. something on that was like the right thing yeah and it was the first time that I got like a screaming hands in the air reaction from like more than five or six people uh-huh. um, and uh I was like, oh yeah, and then that's just like crack. Like you just want to like feeling. all the time, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and then, and then, where'd that go? And here we are. No, I mean that just went on. Like he eventually started like not showing up to a lot of those gigs, and then I got to know the promoters, and mm-hmm. then they started booking me. And I basically spent the first six years of my career playing in like really, uh, really thugged out. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York hip hop parties. And what'd you learn from doing that? Everything. It's actually, I would say it's my ace in the hole. Because mm. um, I mean, I, I think probably like the most common compliment I get is that I like it's very, like it's people always say that it, it seems effortless when I play. And mm-hmm. then like I, I seem to like walk in and very like easily gauge what's going on. And like luckily I seem to consistently get it right. And mm-hmm. like because I never really play, I try not to really play the same set twice ever because I feel like I might as well be a live band if I'm just gonna mm-hmm. do the same thing all the time. And mm-hmm. like, I, like, what's the point? Like I like the spontaneity of DJing and I like, I come from a crowd reading and like, like, like understanding the mm-hmm. room. Like if there's this many people in the room, you do this. And if it's packed, you do this. And if it's blah, blah, blah. And not just like, I'm here to do my show. And like, right. if, I don't care what time it is, I'm gonna do it. Like mm-hmm. that's, why be a DJ if you're gonna do that? Well, I guess you make a lot more money if you do that, but uh, I never, I, just, I never wanted to. Right. But, um, but so the the comment that's 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 the compliment I get often is like it seems like I just kind of come in there and look at it and I just do it, and I think that that comfort and that calmness comes from that first, from like 1999 to 2003, I was just in New York playing at those parties where literally if I played the wrong record, I probably would have got stabbed in the neck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw stabbings, I saw shootings, I saw fights, I saw weaves get ripped out of their head. Like there were several nights where we had to wait in line to leave the club because the right. cops had to like talk to you before you left to ask you what you had seen. Oh my God. Yeah, um, That's so yeah I mean, it was like, it was really gnarly, but 
also no one knows that like as far as like the internet and the world is concerned like banana split happened and like i came out of nowhere and mm-hmm. i was like some blog guy and like who has like no history before that and like no right. known date of birth mm-hmm. you know like yeah. but like <laughs> that's funny sure. the whole first part of my career i was in you know smoky basements in new york you know pre-digital pre-party photography pre-youtube mm-hmm. pre mp3s and recordings like with like six crates of records just trying to like hide my face and mm-hmm. like because the the idea back then was like don't look at me like right you ne- as a dj you didn't you did not want people to, to look at you ever mm-hmm. does that well mean you're you usually were, hidden in the you booth, weren't right? doing good yeah but like if someone looked over at the booth that meant you were fucking up like if mm-hmm. someone was like that wasn't a good thing right. yeah so it took a little while for me to get used to the whole like we're watching you dj and we're all f- facing towards you. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so funny. You know, it, it reminds me. Uh, so my first experience with DJs, I was also 10. And uh, it was my fifth grade graduation. And my my parents were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go to a club. And, we, you know, and on the radio, they would give away. You could win passes to, to whatever, nightclub. And um, so I got these passes. In fifth grade? Yeah, I can't remember the name of the club. It was way out, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, but this was out in the Bay Area. It's like an hour out of, you know, in the in near Oakland somewhere. And we go and somehow they let me in cuz it was the 70s, right. you know, 70s and nobody gave a shit. And uh so it was m- my parents and a bunch of their friends and me and we go to this nightclub and it was like roller disco in one room and disco in the other and uh you know, I went on the dance floor for the first time in my life. And like, but I remember, I mean, I had the best night of my life, obviously, right? Because fucking roller skates and video games in the bar. And yeah, it's the best. It was the best, right? And, and I became a clubber at, at that moment. <laughs> um, clubber. Oh, man, that's such a, I haven't heard that term. Yeah, it's so a dated, I'm dating myself with that You got to bring it back. But I'm going clubbing. But I also remember exactly, yeah, that we never out. saw the DJ. Yeah. You he know, didn't. no, you never because he was up in a booth that was it was smoky glass. If you were lucky, the booth, like oh, at the roller skate for sure. Yeah, he was. Yeah. You no, there was a booth him. in the corner with dark glass. <clears throat> you couldn't see in, mm-hmm. and you know we have no idea who. DJ and even and, in the event that that dude did have was a personality driven guy. It was just his voice. Like just it was like voice. a radio. It was like he was yeah. broadcasting a radio show just to the roller rink. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. He was just like all right, skaters, we're doing a doodly do. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I remember going to the skate, the skating ring, and listening to Irie, DJ Irie from uh-huh. Miami, just like do his thing. Sure, he's still out there doing his thing. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, big time. He's got like a super big following out there. Yeah, he's a man. They love him. He's like the mayor. Yeah. Um. So, YLA, you moved out. I was born and raised here. So you decided I want to come home. Yeah, I mean, where there's nowhere better. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and did you come back here thinking you were going to be continue being a hip hop DJ? Sort of. Um, by the time I was done out there, um, all right. I guess the the cap to the story I was telling earlier was that that's why I, I have no fear of any like rave festival audience or right. or any room like because yeah. I just for the most part they're just much less stabby and they seemingly have less, <laughs> less guns and like they're not I mean it's not just like a sea of like football jerseys and like it, it, you know it's like 
it was horrifying back then. I used to be like legitimately and reasonably scared for my life, like almost yeah. any time I went in there. But that's sure. how bad I wanted to play records. No, I remember. Uh, that <laughs> so, so it's the same thing. Yeah. So it's like if I play at Hardfest or like whatever it is, like I could just walk on that stage and be like, what could go wrong? Like, yeah. Maybe the maybe the record will skip. Maybe they won't like me. But like, I feel like I'm right. gonna leave with my life. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, back to where we were, which was <clears throat> L.A. Mm-hmm. I came back in 2003, just a combination of like uh, personal and business reasons. I had like a a small TV production company that a friend and I were starting, um, and it made more sense for me to be in LA um, Mm -hmm. as instead of both of us being in New York, because this is where the whole industry was. And then uh, there was some family stuff going on, and also I really missed like constant access to swimming pools and hot tubs and <laughs> no winter and uh yeah i like the car lifestyle honestly mm-hmm. like it's very useful for and a lot of things besides driving i mean you can smoke your weed in there and listen to it's a good way to <laughs> listen. can't do that on the subway well, it's a good way to like travel and listen to music without i don't i don't love listen uh like digesting music in headphones right uh like for me it's more it's like a, it's just for djing mm-hmm. um or like I listen back to like if I make songs I listen back to it make sure it sounds right mm-hmm. um, but like I don't like to produce in headphones and I don't like to like hear things for the first time in headphones because like if you move it just a little right like, pe- like a lot of people I feel like people just put headphones on and accept like what's coming out mm-hmm. but like with every little adjustment like sometimes you just like push it a little and like all of a sudden there's bass and stuff like yeah. that so it's like oh yeah you hold the headphones <laughs> you know what I mean like especially the earbuds so yeah. it's like I really I really did miss like having a car and yeah. uh, and, and like listening to music in a car. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a great way to listen to music. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, and like it's L.A. I mean, you have access to everything. And I feel like in in especially now and in the last few years, I feel like I was uh, proven right because like all, I feel like all with all the music, like everyone who blows up like now just moves to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I moved out here, like the music scene here was non-existent. Like the rave scene was long gone. Yeah. Um, there was barely any hip hop in Hollywood. Like it was just starting to happen. There was definitely mm-hmm. no dance music in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It was really confusing what was here. Yeah. Um, but the gigs that I was doing were all around here and it was basically like, I was doing the same stuff that like AM and vice and stone rock were doing. It was all just like open format. Mm hmm. Uh, just try to get as cr- basically like trying to get as creative as you could mm. with the small amount of stuff that you could play for people while trying to please a room full of people that had you know bad taste if any taste <laughs> uh so I, it was a it was a it was like a rough but like creative period mm-hmm. because so, it, there is something to be said for like making the best out of a with like a small set of tools yeah. you know like yeah. i feel like why do you why do you think that happened like i i feel like um you know around that time you had a really strong kind of underground hip-hop scene right with with root town and chocolate bar and firecracker and like that kind of See, thing. i've seen some of those but i was i was definitely not here for the heyday of right. most of those yeah um, yeah, that was sort of the tail end. Yeah, I came back in 2003, and like mm-hmm. I saw Firecracker, um, and you know the do over started mm-hmm. probably a couple years later, and I've seen some stuff like that, but I was I missed out on definitely like the heyday of, right. of LA underground rap stuff. Well, yeah, and so what I was gonna say is like you know I think that scene was going on, but you had to 
you had to really be in it to know about it, right? Like, like most your average sort of club goer in the city didn't know about that stuff. It wasn't in Hollywood. Yeah. It was that little, you know, off the beaten path bars and whatever, you know, the, the electronic music scene was similar, right? Like there was good stuff happening, but it was kind of like out of the way. Well, that's what I like about LA. I think is it yeah. people, you know, especially back then were often quoted like, you know, LA is fake and LA is this and there's yeah. nothing out there. Mm-hmm. And it's all like people like, thought of LA as the like a one mile stretch of the Sunset Strip. Sure. Yeah. Which is like if you're from LA, like when are you ever there even? You know, yeah. like um but uh but yeah, like I feel like all the underground stuff it was more about you didn't want it to get fucked up. Like you didn't want to mm-hmm. you didn't want to blow it up too much because you had to keep it kind of like in LA it was it's more about you had to know people to, to gain access to right. stuff. Mm-hmm. You had to know people with cool houses you could hang out at. Not like in New York. Like mm-hmm. In New York, you didn't hang out at anyyone's house ever. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, it's too you just small. you wake up and you get out of your house as fast as possible, and you figure <laughs> out where everyone is, and then you right. stay out for as long as you can until you have to go to sleep, and then you go back home. <laughs> right. Whereas in LA, it's like you wake up and get baked and stay in your house, and because it's awesome. And mm-hmm. if you get bored of that room, you go to the yard and then <laughs> eventually like wander out for brunch, maybe, mm-hmm. and meet up with other people. It's a little right. more isolated, I think, but yeah. there's a lot more like. Like oh well I know where I'm going so fuck everyone else like right. yeah uh, and I think that applies to the to the club stuff as well like what you're saying is like it was really cool but unless you knew those people or you knew how to get to it right yeah it wasn't or you knew the right it, questions it was to off ask, the radar like, you couldn't like you that. didn't know yeah well but that's why I think you guys you know and and the guys you mentioned right really changed that or or created another lane oh you right? mean like the banana split stuff yeah. Like, yeah, well, and, that was where... in open format in general, like, you know, it feels like, you know, so there's this underground thing happening over here. There's another one over here. The mainstream stuff was completely fucked up. Yeah. And then, right, you guys sort of created this lane where, you know, there was good music, but it was interesting. You know, it was, it was like taking more chances. Yeah. And well, what happened was a, that... For I a mean, different crowd, maybe. It was really like at that time, it was like... It was like I was saying, like, no matter who you were, you were probably playing the same stuff. So at the time we started that party, like, although we were all in different areas, like, essentially, like, me, Steve Aoki, and AM were all playing the same stuff whenever we played. Right. In different ways. It's just, you know, AM was playing them in Vegas, Aoki was playing them at Cinespace, and I Mm -hmm. was playing them at, like, like, I was doing stuff for, like, skaters and streetwear people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Aoki was doing, like, hipster, uh, like, indie rock stuff, and then AM was doing, like, big celebrity Vegas stuff. Yeah. But, like, but we also all, there there was a, a huge influx of crazy new underground dance music that was happening at that time. Um, and Steve was just, Steve just liked to party and, and play records. And Adam was always like a, like a, a music guy first. Mm-hmm. Like he was a raver and a partier, but then he got sober, but he still yeah. like had like a huge intake of music all the time. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he played one of my first parties. Yeah. I, I, I bet. Uh, Which one was that? Uh, it was bar one at the time. Whatever, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, you know nine two two nine sunset. That's like Bootsy oh, yeah. Bellows. Yeah, now, Bootsy right? Bellows yeah. now. <laughs> and it was me and Mike Karen. And I, you know, we were like, "Who are we gonna have DJ?" And he was like, "This kid Adams always over my house digging through crates. Yeah. Let's 
fuck with him and you know he was just i mean this was 95 yeah so he was probably still fucked up too yeah 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 Yeah, he was i mean he was i mean anyone who ever saw him dj knows he was outstanding but like basically what happened was it was a com it was a perfect combination of stuff there was like ed banger and and like what they were doing kind Mm -hmm. of with with they were kind of, I think, the first ones to really use social media to like show how awesome their parties were. Basically, mm, like yeah. it was pre pre YouTube, I think, even like. Like my they had like, yeah, and they had like a little pod. They had like a little podcast video too that was like, oh yeah, it was just like a Justice record playing and like all these like hot French chicks like raging, <laughs> and like the boot like they were always DJing like on the floor and like the crowd was always like all up in their grill like it looked like like a, like CBGB like <laughs> punk rock shows, yeah. but with this like insane like somewhere between like Metallica and house music shit that they were making Mm -hmm. and like it was like musically interesting and it was super aggressive but it was like funky like it was like it was pretty mind-blowing at the time yeah um and we all kind of we all liked it and there was no real venue to play it and it but Steve was starting to play it a little bit because he had like a younger more open kind of indie audience and at Cinespace and he kind of transitioned from playing some random combination of like Peaches and Fat Man Scoop or like whatever he was doing uh-huh. at, yeah. at Cinespace to For like sure. starting to play like Justice and Milo and and like Switch Records and Mastercraft with like like DFA 79 became Mastercraft and mm-hmm. like and things like that um and and then AM coming out of his first few years of being like a real celebrity DJ was like was like a little bit like he never got into the lifestyle because he was just sober and wanted to like sit at home and like learn new scratches and hear mm-hmm. new songs so like but what he also saw at Cinespace was like a new like an untapped resource of like mm-hmm. hot models yeah you know that were just like try, like, like okay sure. so that's cool yeah. and like they're they like new music so it was kind of like a perfect storm and we were and he was like he owned a nightclub like he owned LAX which mm-hmm. was doing mostly cheesy stuff mm-hmm. um Steve was doing a Saturday night there was which was kind of a cool thing it was called Hot Lava it was him and mm-hmm. Squeaky Clean and um they had just met and he was like well we gotta get those people in there from Tuesdays at Cinespace um but like we gotta play this music and at the time I remember hearing it like you probably remember this for years and years and years there was just this thing that they had said you can't do Sunday night parties in LA mm-hmm. like you don't like it just wasn't done like yeah Sunday I tried nights, I tried it was terrible yeah clubs were just closed yeah. like most clubs it was like yeah that's the night that we're closed and I think it was like an it's an old school mentality too like there was a lot of like weird like I remember telling my dad like we'd wake up so I'd be like hey can we go to this store and be like are they open on Sundays like that was like a real <laughs> yeah. thing um, yeah, I tried to do. Do you know Brie, uh, uh, 1987 uh-huh. DJ? So she and I tried to do this Sunday together. This was in the 90s. It was like I couldn't get myself to go. Right? It was 
just like, no, I just want to fucking sleep before the week starts. I feel that. Yeah. And it was this weird thing, but it just happened to be like mm-hmm. he was like, well, I mean, we have – he's like, we can do whatever we want on Sunday. I own the club. And he was like – and so we basically took advantage of that to like set – we just set a bunch of rules. Like you weren't – there was no like dread – like you weren't – there was no – there, I guess there technically was a dress code. You just couldn't be dressed up. Like you couldn't yeah. look right. like an asshole. Like you couldn't be a, like yeah, just come yeah yeah. Like if you were, if you were wearing a dress shirt and like and like leather shoes, like you were clearly in the wrong place. And like where, and even if you weren't, like it's like stay away from our women, you know. Like, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so that that was kind of the rule. Was like anyone who who like you know looks like they're here for the right party, let them in. Um. And if they look like an asshole or ask if they can buy a table, tell them no because they're here on the wrong night. Because mm-hmm. LAX was mm-hmm. a very popular, yeah. you know, it was on like TMZ and stuff like that. So it was like, so we basically, we were just shining a light on that music and took advantage of the fact that Adam owned the club and no one could tell him, right. no one could tell him what to play. And no one was going to, like there was no, we owned the party like outright. Mm-hmm. And it was a perfect combination of like us trying to imitate what we saw like in the Ed Banger videos. Um, so we put the turntables on the floor. We wanted to get people early. So Adam was like, I own the beer anyway, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to drink that shit. <laughs> so let's put a keg of beer on the dance floor at yep. 10 o'clock. We'll get people here early. So every week at 10 o'clock, they would just put a keg on the dance floor and it would be there till like 11 or until it ran out. Mm-hmm. And so, so, which was cool for me because I was always playing early every week. So no matter what, mm-hmm. even if people weren't dancing, there was at least yeah, like crowd. a bunch of people lined up to hit the keg, <laughs> like not too far from where I was at. Right. And I think that, I mean, that's where I learned to interact with a crowd too. Cause that was as far as like, the world is concerned like that's where my dj career starts mm-hmm. like is at that party right. yeah because that was the beginning that was like the cobra snake mm-hmm. and all that stuff like that was the first time like anyone who wasn't at the party i was playing at saw a picture of me playing at a party right, right. Yeah. What, what are the parties like now i don't, I don't go out know. on sundays <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't know I, I i haven't been out in a while either um i mean that party ended yeah abruptly sure. obviously for yeah, but what's the club scene like now in LA? It's like non-existent. Are you playing? Do you play in LA? Um, I do, um, but not all. I stopped doing like uh, I stopped doing weekly parties maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Everything I go to is different. It's hard to get a sense of yeah. of what's really going on because I think we're back at a time where I think any time that it gets to be not specific, it gets a little confusing. Mm. And I think that's what was kind of good about that, like, 2003, 2004 club era was, like, if you went to a nightclub, you basically knew what you were going to hear. Mm-hmm. And either the DJ was playing it right or the DJ was playing it wrong, but at the least he was going to play, like, the songs you wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, there's just, like, I feel like there's a, they're cramming too many, de- like, a night, a weekly night that wants to have the same vibe every week should not book a special guest every week and should not have mm. three other DJs also playing in addition to the special guest. Right. Cause it just doesn't make any fucking sense mm. at all. Yeah. And I don't under, I still don't understand that approach. Sure. Um, even though, I'm, well, especially in LA, you can't cram four DJs into a night and have it make sense. Yeah. Um, we somehow did it. I, I mean, like I was, it took me a while to get used to the idea of like a 45 minute DJ set coming mm-hmm. from like a six hour DJ mm-hmm. set yeah. background. Yeah. Um, 
but that's where I learned to interact, I guess, with the crowd and like look at them and, uh, -hmm. and like have to like look up, like, and get over my whole, like, don't look at, like, it went from like, just don't look at me and keep dancing to like, (laughs) okay, fine. Like if you're really just going to stare at me, because like the first couple sets when I played like at prime time at banana split were a little awkward Mm -hmm. because I'm just like looking down, making sure I'm doing everything right. But there's like, you know, 500 hipsters just like. (laughs) <laughs> like, what not like right That's so like are you gonna look at us at all are you gonna like because we just want you to be like woo and then we'll be like Wah. yeah um for those it's not a tv show so i just made crazy hand gestures no we have video. everyone we got video oh yeah video yeah that's video? why the light's crazy you know what it never occurred to me <laughs> i just thought that this like really high-end studio just that's like right. didn't have a they normal have lamp yeah no, no, it's, really, it's, really it's very, it's very early for me. It's, it's no, really, that's or all right. it's really it's late really or something. That's right. Um, no, we'll be on YouTube at some point. Fantastic! I would have done my makeup, and I would, I would sit a little more upright, probably. So wait, I have questions, but I want to take. <laughs> a, uh, so that's so, O three. I want to remember how we met because. Um, so I got married in 03. Yeah. I and mean, I, that's and that's I, where I met you. Yeah, that's DJing how we met. your wedding. Yeah. Stephanie Kalinowski. Yep. Called me the morning of your wedding. And DJ June was supposed to do it and could not. Oh, that's right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, a price was negotiated and agreed upon, and, and I was off to Palm Springs. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> No, that's true. So, you know, if you're a guy like me, you sort of stress over who's going to be the DJ at yeah. your wedding because... Because you're a music guy. Yeah, and I, that's what I really cared about. And, like, my wife had her stuff that she was worried about. And I was like, I, I got to make sure the music's right. And, you know, the typical wedding DJ in a tux, like, that wasn't going to work for me. Um, she was really into June because uh, we used to go to Firecracker a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's the man. June is dope. And, um, and then something, yeah, something happened. He had a conflict probably a paying gig or something that uh, he couldn't pass up and so I feel like something like that would have been he must have been sick or something because it was yeah I mean it was day a, of the we- like, day of the wedding I would imagine like I think it was a few days before but it, but it was it was close I anyway. was I was definitely booked on the morning of I remember that because that was That's my hilarious. that was my I remember like my yeah. that was my negotiating drive I yeah like, yeah I, it ain't I my wedding you. y'all want me to come out there like let's do this now. yeah it was a long drive <laughs> so long I drive. called Steffi at the time <coughs> who worked for us and, yeah. and so how did you guys know each other she was uh dating one of my best friends so yeah and then you came and the wedding was great it was yeah it was We're really still fun. married thanks to you <laughs> and uh she's the best that was a really <laughs> thanks to me yeah I, I really sealed the deal yeah you said you know you set us off on the, on the right course i'm glad i'm glad i could do it i remember i remember <laughs> djing in the grass i remember it was a cool house played some funky tunes yeah that was fun so um but back to something that matters so (laughs) you know how do you get how how are you so you're like immersed in in hip-hop in new york and like you know hip-hop is sort of like at least at the time was kind of exclusionary to other genres Mm Right. It was like a filthy, dirty secret collection of house records. Right. <laughs> so how do like how do you how are you exposed to that stuff and and you and you go like yeah this is I want to fuck with this. Um, just ra- uh, it was raving in high school honestly. Mm. Yeah. Because I was a hip hop, I was I liked hip hop stuff 
I like punk stuff. It was like I said, and I had the older brothers too. They were into different stuff. But then I had, I had a couple friends who like wouldn't give up on like electronic music mm-hmm. and like raving curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remember we would go to the record store, and I had one friend who was like, you know, we would go there to get like the new Wu Tang singles or like whatever it was. And he was always like, he would always like go to the dance section and like grab some <laughs> random compilation and be like, maybe this will be good. I was like, it's never gonna be good. <laughs> like that shit is whack. Like, <laughs> stop. Funny. Like, stop buying those things. Like, what is it? Like, what are those? Yeah. Like, what is that? Like, what is that artwork? And what? Like, what are these names? Like, what is this music? Like, I couldn't even compute it. Like the right. first time I heard like drum and bass it was probably like 1994 i was just like god that's really fucking fast and like yeah it's too many drums and i don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah and uh but you know with time and drugs and you know good sound systems and like just like good times just going to like weird stuff in san bernardino and we just started going like every weekend like he finally got me to go and like you know give me enough acid and he get me to go anywhere mm-hmm um, so we would just, I would just get in the back seat and show up at these things and like say weird things and hear weird things. But then like <laughs> the songs would start like, like you would start, mm-hmm. like my brain started to understand the music, I guess. Yeah. And so it was like, I would listen to like hip hop and punk rock all week, but at these parties, like I would like, so I would start hearing it and I would start like, I started to understand it and I started to dance to it and I started to like seek out the records, but it was pointless because there was nowhere for me to play the records other than like for myself at home Mm -hmm. like i was doing hip-hop stuff even in high school i would go and play it like you know after formals and like things like that but like uh these they were just this collection that i was building i was just buying these records and i would spend all my money on like french house records and and like belgian techno and like Mm -hmm. all these weird things and and i didn't know why and it just the habit just continued like even through the whole time i was in college the whole time i was working for stretch the whole time that I was doing all of those hip hop clubs in New York, like I would still, I would, in New York, I would go to like Satellite and Eight Ball and and uh, dance tracks and like mm-hmm. whatever was around, and just like still spend like a couple hundred bucks a week on import house vinyl that was never going anywhere. I tried right. every once in a while, like if in the event that I would meet someone in that scene, I would be like, hey, like. I have all these house records. Like, can I come? But it just, it just wasn't done. Like yeah. you did what you did. Yeah, sure. And like, you didn't have hip hop guys playing house and you didn't have house guys playing mm-hmm. hip hop. And like, that was it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was, that was honestly the reason for my being at banana split. I was actually transitioning completely out of DJing. Like I was finally going to like give up on the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and my TV company was actually going really well at the time. And, I was kind of just like stopping like a lot of the parties I'd been a part of for a while were coming to an end and uh and AM and Aoki were talking about starting this party mm-hmm. and they're like well, we're just gonna play whatever brand new dance music we want we're gonna play all this you know Justice and Daft Punk and and Solid Groove and Mastercraft and and Basement Jackson like all like just all of the things that I love
like, oh, cool. Well, perfect. Like, I'm totally going to quit DJing. So I'll also come to this party and I'll also play all this music that I've always wanted to play somewhere and I'll just do it for free. Right. And because, you know, those guys, I was like, I basically, I, I, I like, I made a really good proposition to them when they told me the idea for the party. I was like, you guys, neither of you are going to want to be there at 10 o'clock every week. Mm-hmm. And also ne- neither of you are going to be able to be there every week because AM was going right. to obviously occasionally be gone and Aoki was like, he was he was blowing up mm-hmm. at a pretty fast Real rate. Time, like yeah. he was doing, like he was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, you know, he was a partier and he had like a lot more going on. But mm-hmm. I was like, it's like I didn't I didn't drink very much and I was like living with a girl at the time and I had like a very mellow lifestyle and I was also like a professional TV producer on the side. So it was <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it was really weird. Are um, you so, still doing TV? Uh, am I now? No. Yeah, no. That well, thanks to Banana Split, I was able to completely like regress, mm-hmm. uh, and like uh, it, it totally like it's like I got my life, but it also like totally like, it destroyed like whatever like amount of normalcy I had going on. Sure, because I was like for the first time at the tender age <laughs> of you know twenty eight or whatever, like I was finally playing like e- electronic music for packed rooms of crazy people Mm -hmm. like every week consistently and every week we would have uh, exciting people coming and play like you know it was probably like one of Diplo's first LA shows and Justice's first LA shows and I mean even I mean we had Wiz Khalifa we had Lady Gaga we had uh, we had like I mean just like because that was the thing was it was still like a very open format thing Mm -hmm. and we were all coming from a place where we would play Leonard Skinner and 50 Cent in like the same breath, right. sometimes in the same track. I'm glad that whole thing is over. But uh, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, mashups was always confusing to me as a genre. Like, either a blend works or it doesn't, but it shouldn't be a genre. Uh, well, I think it's one of those things. <laughs> like the first time you hear that, and you hear it done well, yeah, like this is it's like you un- want more. This is unbelievable. Yeah. But the first right. time I heard that was in like 1992 on like a Kid Capri mixtape. Right. You know what I mean? So I was sure. like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. I hope he does it again. Yeah. <laughs> Another cool thing. It wasn't like I need a hundred of these right away, <laughs> uh, and I want a whole night. I want a party that only plays songs with other songs as a <laughs> genre. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but we were doing a lot of that. Like so, it was like we would go from like Justice to, you know. uh I mean, it was, like, probably one of the first places that dubstep got played. I mean, it was just, like, whatever was new and exciting, we were playing it. Mm-hmm. And we could play it with anything. And then, obviously, AM was doing his, you know, scratching over everything and putting acapellas over everything and looping yeah. everything. And Steve Aoki was jumping up and down and screaming at people and pouring vodka on their heads. And I was learning how to make eye contact with people <laughs> in, a, in a very slow way. Besides that, <laughs> what, what do you think you – what did you learn from Adam and Steve? I mean, I learned a lot from Adam. I mean, he was, I mean, he and I were really close for Mm -hmm. a really long time. And uh, he got me every every gig that I had basically in LA when I got back. Um, He, I mean, he was, I mean, he was the one that like told me it was okay for me to come home basically. Like, I was like, can I come to LA? Like, can I work there? And he was like, (laughs) I got you. Like, come out. And like, as soon as I came out, he was like, yeah, fill in for me here. Um, I'm going to be like, he was just, starting to get into like the four figure uh mm-hmm. 
DJ world, which was crazy at the time. Like if you yeah. could get like more than like a few hundred bucks to DJ, it was like you were murdering it. Yeah. And it was still not like a viable long-term career possibility. Of course. And like, I guess that's that that's why I was doing the TV stuff. Because mm-hmm. at the time, yeah. like, Side there was, yeah, like, it was still, we were the guinea pig generation of, of DJing, like, as mm-hmm. a career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like now, like, I love that, like, Doc Martin and, and DJ Sneak and Mark Freeman and all these guys are, like, still doing it. Because now, like, they've become, like, my gauge of, like, where I can be in, in 10 years, you know? Um, Interesting. But uh, but at the time, like they were still like in their like late twenties or something like that, yeah. and or, or whatever it was, and it was like you didn't know. Like it seemed like Stretch was gonna like people were just like they, you would start labels or you would go mm-hmm. work at a label or mm-hmm. you would like it was just something you did like for cash on the weekends, like until you got your shit together, right? <laughs> and but with that party, it's like I said, it like kind of like exploded my life because I was like I was living, you know. It, I was living with like a nice Jewish girl on like Crescent Heights and Olympic, and I, uh, you know, I was waking up every day and like, I was basically wearing the same thing except I, just, I figured out if you just get like a like a Ralph Lauren sweater and just put it over, <laughs> basically just a t-shirt and jeans, like yeah. I could get away with it. And you like just up. And I was still like, you know, it was subversive, but <laughs> I was, but I never liked it. I never made any friends doing it. It was just like, yeah. It was kind of like the family trade, and I knew how to do it, and I went to school for it for a while, and and I worked in it like all through, like I always PA'd and stuff in high school, and I just I understood it. It was one of it was like a, it was like by trade I was a a, a TV producer kind of. And sure. At the same time the banana splits blew up, I got my first show on the air. So it was literally like, a, what am I gonna do now? What was the uh, show? It was called Snoop Dogg's Fatherhood. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, I didn't know that was you. Yeah, the real piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, nice. And I came home from work, and uh, I was like personally mad at Snoop Dogg. Uh, not that he ever knew who I was, but like, uh, like I just got home, I was like, "Fuck Snoop!" Like, what a dick, you know? Like, because he's hard to work with. He, would, he just wanted to like get stoned and hang out because he's Snoop. He didn't want like a bunch right. of people telling him what to do, and like, it, yeah, it made perfect sense. And I was like, man, fucking guy. And I was like, this was never supposed to happen. I was not supposed to be mad at Snoop. Like, I'm supposed to... Hang- like, I was, like, contractually not allowed to smoke weed with him. I was like, this is not how this was supposed to right? go at all. Yeah, because he was... I think he had some uh, sort yeah. of, like, probation or, or yeah. parole or whatever it was. Like, I wasn't supposed to smoke weed with him because it could, like, fuck up his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and also, just on a professional... Out of professional... Uh, you're just not supposed to like smoke weed on the set of your own TV show. Sure. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that in the handbook? I think so. It's like yeah. don't do drugs in front of network executives. Okay. Uh, <laughs> unless you're Snoop. <laughs> um, and I just was like, and I remember thinking like, because you know, obviously, like you would go out and DJ and you would play gin and juice and nothing but a G thing and stuff. And I was like, I was I was so personally upset with him that day that I like didn't want to play that music. <laughs> With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D-O-double G, but I somehow, someway, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through two in the morning and the party still jumping cause my mama ain't home. I got bitches in the living room getting it on and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. 
So what you want to do? Shit, I got a pocket full of rock. I was like, it's interfering. Like, it's interfering with what I love. Right. Like, TV's interfering with what I love. Yeah. And it's going well. And this girl wants me to get her pregnant. And, like, I don't want to do that. And uh, this party's going really well. And I have a real chance to, like, be the rave DJ I always dreamed of being. <laughs> and so if I simultaneously... Uh, dissolve my production company tell my partner to fuck off uh, break up with this girl and uh, <laughs> you know become like just like a a, 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 mu- a music bachelor man then uh, then I, you know this could this could happen and sure. I basically get I I'd made a decent amount of money doing the, uh, some TV stuff and uh I basically gave myself a year. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to just go. I'm gonna go play like every cool party for free. I want to. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go as many places as I can and do as much as I can and meet as many people mm-hmm. as I can in this year. So that would have been at the end of 2007. Wow. Um, do, do you think? I mean, you know, you said something earlier about the the sort of confidence that you brought with you from New York and having been in rooms. You know that a lot of people might not have had the balls to to be in night after night. And then now what you just described is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty bold move, right? Like I'm going to just blow up my life and it do was this fun. Thing. I, I mean, you, I think, like, I think I've done that over and over throughout the course of my life. Okay. Yeah. I think every time it was clear to me, like what could happen, I was like, okay, great. Like now I know I can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see what happens if I do this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I, I, I think that's why I started going to raves i think that's why i quit film school and started to work for stretch i think that's why i left new york and came back to la because like new york was cracking yeah you know and la had nothing going on Mm -hmm. but it was like but i love it there and like that's where i'm from like Mm -hmm. like i want to go do something dope there and then like when that didn't really happen i was like all right well i guess i'll like try to do something dope in tv because like djing is not going (laughs) to pan out but then I could. I just knew Banana Split was going to be relevant. I knew it was going to be ill. I knew that AM had more to say to the world than, you know, holding hands with Nicole Richie in pictures and 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 playing in Vegas. Like he was mm-hmm. too much of a genius to just have that be his, mm-hmm. like what he was doing. So right. like I knew when he said he was going to do something underground that like it was like really going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I liked Steve Aoki just fine. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> he was a nice enough guy and he yeah. was conducive to having a good time and we had some really fun nights together. Um and that party was just crazy. I mean like I met everybody there. Uh it was nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean I saw wild wild stuff. Where do we yeah, start? Sure. What was I what was the question? Yeah, well, what was the question? <laughs> but I like the stories. No, I was just thinking about the you know, there's a there's a common theme of this. Oh, right, like, of uh, you know, of, just, right, the like I think it's it's having the confidence to just do do you. you it's know, just and, more fun too. It's like I mean, there's always it's never like a full on like. I mean, I'm not gonna like, you know, set my house on fire and move into the wilderness, but like, it's more like. I don't know. I just feel like predictability, and I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I don't have to have a monotonous life. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I, I, I try to never lose sight of. I try to like never bitch about anything 
that's going on because no matter what, like I'm still playing music. I still basically right. party for a living. I get to make my own schedule and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's like, what could be better than that? Yeah, what, what did stretch teach you that has stuck with you? Man. I mean, so much. It's crazy. Uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned how, I learned how to like hate on shit from him basically. Cause he was, he was a ta- he was like a real tastemaker at a time where like there weren't a lot of tastemakers. Yeah, he actually taught me the he literally taught me the word tastemaker, mm. um, and and like that's just what he wanted to do. Like he was so proud of what he had done. Um, I think with with the with the radio show, mm-hmm. and he just wanted to apply that to everything. Like he wanted everything to be unearthing new music, and so I, I guess I learned that from him too. Just the consumption of like yo, I heard that this exists, like, we gotta find it. Like, that mm-hmm. would be a lot of, like, my stuff. Like, he would just be like, yeah, like, somebody told me that, like, so-and-so was in the studio with, you know, the Nas and Tragedy made a song last week. Like, call that studio and, like, figure out, like, how we, like, you know. Because it was just, you were trying, you tried to get your hands on, like, exclusive music. Yeah. So I learned that from him, too. Like, how to just, like, hunt down a song by any means necessary, like, which is, I, I still do to this day. Like, it's mm-hmm. a weird, there's no need to do it now with the internet. <laughs> but, like, I wanted, I mean, this, as recently as, like, three weeks ago, I was like, no, like, you need to send me the Migos album. Like, I need it right away. I can't wait till next week uh-huh. until everyone has it on Spotify. Like, right. I need it now so I can, because there's, like, I feel like it's more exciting. Because, mm-hmm. like, when I got it, I sat at home and just, like, yeah listen to it by myself like three times in a row until i like i made sure by the time i played it for someone else like i was off book you know right, i could like right, wrap right. the words in their face right. like <laughs> yeah like i still have that you like that record i love that record it's so good oh my god i mean yeah like forget like every like whatever like i did in 2007 there's so much exciting new rap music out there is that right? <laughs> it is amazing. So, is that are you? It never left, but it was. It took me a while. I guess that was. That can be said for what I learned from Stretch. Actually, is that as much as I learned to hate from him, I then had to like re-educate myself and like learn not to, because I also, like, I was so impressed by his ability to form an opinion really, really fast. Yeah, but then. And he was right most of the time. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes he was, like, so wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, like, he can be wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, when you're 19, you just assume that, like, right people are right. Like, some people are right and some people are wrong. And some people are really good at shit and some people are bad. Like, you don't understand that, like, it's all you're always learning and you're, like, never officially grown up. And, like, Mm -hmm. you're you're never just good at what you do and you can always be better or maybe you're going to suck at it forever or, like, whatever. Like, you just never know. Like, uh, Yeah, I think I told the story before, but I was doing, uh, you know, I was manager in the 90s. And, and, you know, Evan Bogart, uh he worked for me. And, you know, he had brought 
Eminem to Interscope. And then, you know, one day we're sitting in the office. He's like, you know, M's looking for a manager. This is like before the record had come out. Yeah. He's like, he's looking for a manager. And I was like, eh, white rappers. Huh? You know, yeah. we, if you really want, I'll meet with him. But I totally turned my nose off at it. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because that's the same thing that uh, it involves Eminem too. Like where I saw Stretch be wrong because yeah. he loved Eminem. Yeah. And when I first yeah, started, it wasn't, it wasn't like it wasn't I, about him. Oh, for sure. But yeah. when I first started working for Stretch, like that's what was going on. Like the Slim Shady LP was like <laughs> just about to come out. Yep. And so I got I, I knew about him already. I'd seen him do some like open mic nights and stuff like that and he was always ill mm-hmm. and he and like i had his demo like he was dope mm-hmm. um and uh and he was around like he was always at stretch's studio doing freestyles and they did the whole like right uh the slim shady like snippet thing where he yeah. did the prank phone calls and stuff like that like was all recorded while i was there and yeah that was all really cool and eminem was awesome and uh but i remember paul rosenberg came came to the office to play the three songs with Eminem from Chronic 2001 mm-hmm. and no one had heard anything from Chronic 2001 yet and uh, and I remember he played he played a song called Pimpin' which was explosive before it became mm-hmm. explosive um, and it had Royce on it that's a whole other story uh, then uh, he played uh, What's the Difference mm-hmm uh, didn't have Exhibit on it yet. It just had Eminem and Dre. And then he played Forgot About Dre. Mm. And Paul Rosenberg said, this is going to be the big single. And Stretch was like, that's never going to work. Oh, my gosh. Like, that song is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that song is like, no one's going to understand that song. Like, that beat is too weird. The flow is too weird. It doesn't, it's like, it doesn't, like, mm-hmm. like, that song is whack. He's like, but I'll take the other dude the other two like I'm gonna put those other two on a mixtape right. but like basically fuck forgot about Dre it, it's funny I <laughs> and mean, I was like yeah fuck that song <laughs> I work for him fuck that song right. uh, you know and then uh, no it's funny because I saw what happened with that song I was like yo he was fucking totally wrong one day I was walking by with a walkman on When I caught a guy, give me an awkward eye You look and strangle them off in the parking lot But it's dark or not I don't give a fuck if it's dark or not I'm harder than me trying to park a dodge But I'm drunk as fuck Right next to a humongous truck in a two-car garage Hopping out with two broken legs trying to walk it off Fuck you too, bitch, call the cops I'ma kill you and them loud-ass motherfucking barking dogs And when the cops came through me and Dre stood next to a burned-down house With a can full of gas and a handful of matches And still weren't found out Right here, so from here on out but he was <laughs> but he was right too like meaning you know he was working from a certain framework oh true of like this fits this doesn't but and, even and he like was like yo yeah, I get not it. fuck this song a couple months later yeah of course of course but, but like yeah it was impressive like it you because you do have to be able to it's important to like have a strong opinion and be able to do it and that is how he felt at the time yeah but it also taught me that like sometimes you hear a song in the morning you don't like it and you hear it in the afternoon and you like it like definitely when i heard 
you know, Versace or Hannah Montana, I wasn't like, these guys are going to become my favorite group. Right. I was yeah. like, fuck these guys. Yeah. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And it's the dumbing down of like the music that I've loved for so long. Right. Yeah. But then, I don't know, something happened. Well, <laughs> but that's the problem with music, right? Is like, once you hear something enough, you kind of start to like it. I mean, there's exceptions to that, but like, that's the, that's the, I still don't like you too. No okay. matter what. <laughs> okay. Well, I, so I think there's exceptions to that, right? But that's the commercial radio model. Sure. Right? Is we're going to yeah. play this until you like it. Or True. until you can and, tolerate it. Like, yeah, but yeah. you don't know the difference. In your brain, you don't... I no know. one goes, yeah, I tolerate this. People would just like, go, oh, it grew on me. It's catchy. It's no, it's stuck in my head, I you know? know that. I that. Like, music like that for me, I'm like, I'll deal with it, but I still don't like it. Like, I don't care. Okay. Like, which music? Like... The, the whole Taylor Swift album, when it first came out, I was like, ugh. But then it just grew on me. Now I can tolerate it for sure. Like all that kind of shit. Yeah, but tolerating like and, and, right. and liking. But like, I mean, I right. more than tolerate Migos. I, yeah. I'm bothering people at labels for their album. Right, right, like, <laughs> when I hear music on my like different apps and stuff, if it strikes me when I'm walking, I'm like, I have to save it. Then I save it. But that's like how I put my playlist together. I'm not like hitting play on stuff mm. that I'm like yeah I'll play that because I heard it 10 times okay yeah I'm more like skip or yeah repeat like exactly skip or repeat yeah. definitely yeah but that's kind of what you're saying right and I, I feel like you know y you know you call it hating which I feel sort of has a bad rap right you know well not hating but like yeah, yeah but just critical forming an opinion fast yeah. and making it real and a lot of times I mean, you know, the when forming an opinion, I feel like it's really like there, it should mostly be in the middle. Like right. things are mostly just I. Right. Like not everything is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most things aren't great, but most things also aren't horrible. And I think people are very quick to be like, that sucks. This is awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But most things are good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you're talented. Good for you. You made a song. Like that's nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, you know, three star, a three star review yeah, for yeah. the most part. But so like, who's so so stretch obviously was a big influence on you at that stage <clears throat> you know what about now like are you like how do you decide what to play at a festival say and and that's the thing that's where who, my career is such a wonder to me okay is that it's literally like whatever i like at the time is there somebody are there tastemakers today that influence you sure i mean i listen there's like not enough time in my life. That's why I don't really like leave home much. Is like there's not yeah. with the way music moves and like the way music gets uploaded to the internet now. It's like there's not enough time for me to listen to everything I want to listen to in a day. Mm -hmm. Like I want to listen to every DJ who I like. I want to hear their whole mixtape once front to back, like mm -hmm. without skipping around. Like if I put on someone's mix or album, like please believe I put it on and I walk away from the computer. Mm -hmm. Like. Like I have to if 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 I need to fast forward something, I have to hate it. Not like, okay, I get it. I'm gonna go to the next thing. It's like right. I have to be like, This is killing me. I'm gonna get all the way off the couch and right. take off your song. Mm -hmm. Uh <laughs> So whose opinion so, now like affects you like if somebody It's hard to say, man. Because, um, I mean I feel like whose opinion do I even get to really hear anymore? I don't know. I mean, I just listen to other people's stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's still, I mean, there's always people who I go to to see, like, what the gauge of of what's good. I mean, I guess DJ Sneak 
is someone who's really impressive to me who's like never not kept it real in his career yeah. doc martin uh just people who are unquestionably legit mm-hmm. maybe not everyone likes them or what they do but people whose intentions and whose music was like never compromised mm-hmm. you know like that's i think those are the people that i listen to because it's like i said like why do why, like why if i was going to make this if i was going to do things that i don't want to do i would just be making television but i'm not going to be in music and like it's like I said, like, you know, Aoki and I came from the same party. Like, but right. obviously we made a lot of different choices. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I used to do a party with Steve. We did uh Loose Tooth. Yeah. Loose Tooth that was, was dope, dude. Frank Joseph's. Yeah, Joseph's. And uh the one across the street from from Avalon. Uh the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Forbidden City. Forbidden City. Uh-huh. That was like my favorite venue. Yeah, I remember that oh man, cool. I went to some good I remember you guys did Mark Ronson there for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really fun night. Yeah, when he yeah, was that was a DJ. good party for a minute. He used to do a lot of stuff with you guys too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember those parties. Yeah. The first thing I did, I think, with with Rebel, yeah, it was in New York. With it was me and Mark Ronson at at the at Mike Sace's art gallery. Oh yeah, yeah, the the cyan thing. Yep. That was a fu- oh that was, that was a fun night. We showed that was up a crazy at the, night. Um, that was the first thing you guys did in New York. So Sace booked the. Uh, the venue for us he was our guy on the ground in new york and we show up there it was some crazy art gallery Mm -hmm. down at the south street seaport south street seaport and um and the fire marshal shows up and he's like oh you know you don't have your fire permits whatever and we're like you know we're looking at mike but you know we're like okay well you know (laughs) what's the issue like now we're gonna do the event and and the guy's like yeah this place isn't rated so we don't actually have a capacity right so we can't tell you how many people you're allowed to to come in because we haven't ex- inspected oh that's when they have to just like watch right and we're like we're um we're opening in an hour so you know what what do you want to do and uh and the guy was like yeah we'll just we'll, i'm gonna stay he's like we'll just they parked the a fire truck out front yeah and he's like i'm just gonna watch people come and go and uh you know that was one of those nights when like you know, you just have to have the confidence. You, you, we were just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, but we're opening in an yeah. hour. Like, let's just keep this moving forward, and you know, everything will work out. That was a fun. That night. That was a fun night. Yeah, I didn't realize that was you. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was me, and then it was Mark. And I remember we played like all '90s hip hop, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was like really like fun night. Like it was, it was like really good crowd too. Like all the like New York art mm-hmm. scene was there, and it was like mm-hmm. good times. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. So, um, what's the what's the goal? I mean, you talked about, you know, you oh the you goal get, is you like get to long keep doing this. Been like surpassed. Like everything is just a bonus now, and it like is continues there, is there a to new happen. Goal? Is there like another? Uh, maybe, probably. I mean, there's always <laughs> stuff I would like to happen. There's a lot of things I hope happen. Yeah, but like, basically, like as soon as I did like my first European tour and played like you know techno and clubs in berlin and things like that like i was just like oh cool like i'm good like everything else is good like i didn't have to go back to tv yeah like i didn't i like i didn't have to like is there a room i didn't have to accept failure like ever again basically since i made that decision and like everything's been great and like i've never set an alarm clock since except for like today (laughs) appreciate that (laughs) um i know it's tough but we we no it's cool i um 
What, is there a room that you that you want to play that you haven't been in? Yeah, sure, sure. What, um, what's one? Hmm. Good question. Where do I want to play? I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I've really gotten to play like a lot of good places, but also it's like at this point, I just have to assume that it's gonna like. I just wait for the call. Mm-hmm. Like cause things just keep going really good. Like I've been obsessed with Fatboy Slim for as long as I've known who he was, mm-hmm. and like yesterday I was listening to his new podcast and he was playing one of my records, and I was like, "What? Which record? Holy shit! This is what? Uh, That's tough." And I've never met him, never talked to him. I don't like to like meet people. I'm a huge, huge fan of. Yeah. But um, it was a, it's a record called "How About No" that I put out as uh, Brillstein mm-hmm. on Play It Down last year. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I kind of made it in a lot of ways as a tribute to like all the stuff I loved in the 90s. And then all of my very favorite DJ heroes, like all are playing it. And so like that was crazy because I never thought that would happen. Like I was making, I I was like, I've been secretly making like underground house records for like the last few years. But like to have literally like that record, uh, it just like took on a crazy life. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Sneak, I've known for a long time. He was in town recently, and he was like, yeah, come. I'm going to play tonight with, with Doc and, and Mark Farina. Like, you should come meet them. Like, I'm over there. And he's like, but if you don't come with me, like, I probably can't get you. And I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. And then um, I got in my friend's car on the way to the party, and Doc was on Power Tools, mm-hmm. and he was playing my song i was like oh i'm definitely getting into this party like it's all good so i literally got there and then he was standing outside and i was like you just played my record on the radio that's crazy you know like and then like that's how i met him yeah um and then like he played it again that night and then i guess like farina liked it and then farina started playing it and then sneak was like oh that's you and then he started playing it and then to the point where by the time winter music conference came around i got to have a video of todd terry Mark Farina, Doc Martin, and Sneak all together in a booth, basically playing the song. Like they're playing the song, but like one guy's like playing a drum machine and the other one's like triggering an acapella. And then like Sneak's just kind of going like this, nice. and like Doc is playing the track. And I was just like, wow! Like not like not only did I get to like see it happen, but like I, I have this like a music video of like yeah, like four of the most relevant house DJs of all time like sure. playing this song. And then that like it, it kept going like. Green Velvet played it, you know, and he's like one of my favorites of all time. It's not even like a techno record, but it's like, but he played it. And then I signed a different record to a label that he owns. And when he called me to talk about it, which I was pretty excited that Green Velvet was calling me. Sure. Um, he was, I was like, yeah, I'm also Brillstein. Like I put out this other record. And he's like, "Oh man, like that's you? Like, oh, what up? Like, like, uh, like it's like the conversation was <laughs> yeah, like a little awkward. Like, yeah, cool. So like, the record is cool and it's gonna come out and like I right. like it. And then I was like, yeah, thanks for playing the other one. He's like, oh, that's you. Oh my man. Like, like, like yeah. they just the dudes that I made that record as a tribute to, like love it. And mm-hmm. it just it, it it seems to like keep going to where like when I heard Fat Boy Slim 
this is literally yesterday that I heard that podcast where he's playing it and like it was weird it was like it was so amazing but it's also like well yeah like where else was it gonna go like I have to assume at this point that Daft Punk will play it next and that'll be the end of that (laughs) (laughs) that's funny Um, so we're almost out of time Uh, do you have is there do you have a favorite DJ I mean in addition the only one who I probably haven't mentioned thus far would probably be like uh like like funk master flex okay i mean he's been a very like relevant influence on me i think just his like personality and the way he plays records that is just i think that's just like how hip-hop should be presented Mm. like with that kind of like fuck all y'all like this is what's up like this record is ill that's like we, you should like when you love a rap song you should start it over like 20 times mm-hmm. never let the first verse play all the way through for the first like 20 times and then just run it for like a half hour over and over and over <laughs> and then you go on to the next thing like I feel like he's absolutely right so like when I play hip hop like I want to do it like flex yeah. uh, but then it's like but then like Doc Doc Martin and Sneak to me is like that's how you play house records like, mm-hmm. you should like it should be shit that no one's ever heard and you should never play the same thing the same way twice and you should like like it should be bugged out and the mixes should go on forever and you should never DJ for less than three hours. I guess like the way I describe it always is that I'm a multi-genre purist. Yeah. Where like That's tough. I'd like to take in a lot of stuff and like maybe it's a little bit open format but I don't play house like hip hop and I don't play hip hop like house and I don't I want to play like those guys. Mm-hmm. Like so yeah my favorites are like the the dudes that do it like the illest like in those genres. So yeah like Doc Martin, DJ Sneak, Mark Farina, Fat Boy Slim, Funk Master Flex, Stretch Armstrong, DJ AM. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ill. Mo- I mean, I've been really lucky. Like, all my friends are so fucking talented. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, I just love watching them. Like, even because they all do what they do in like the illest way. Like, you want to see like an open format dude that's good. Like, go see like DJ Spider or mm-hmm. Morse Code or uh, Steve Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, like all like all these dudes are ill, and there's dudes in like the L.A. underground too. Uh, like Daniel T is crazy good. Um, I mean the dudes I work with, Jesse Rose, obviously, um, who runs Play It Down, and and mm-hmm. Sided, who was kind enough to put out like my first house records and kind of like show me how to make house music. Uh, Switch. That guy's mind blowing for a guy that like no one ever sees. Like he's producing Beyonce records and like underground house records at the same time like that's oh, wow. crazy to me um, like that's the shit I like I like guys that like do shit in secret because that's like the t- time I come from it's like I said like the don't look at me mm-hmm. that's why I love like Daft Punk and like mm-hmm. and 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 Switch and and like guys, the guys that you never it's not about them like it's about music you mm-hmm. know nice well thanks man I appreciate you getting up early coming to do this <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Keep doing your thing. Come back. Promote anytime. No doubt. Whatever you're doing. Yeah, share music. I, I like music. to share music. Yeah. Check out <laughs> Mike B, the Mike B. Check out Brillstein. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for being on Rebel Radio. There it is. There it is. Black and white. Check us out next week on Rebel Radio. You can find us on dashradio.com on the Hot Button channel. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud at rebel underscore radio. 
Make sure you leave lots of comments. Give us five-star ratings. If you, if you didn't really like it, give us a five-star rating anyway. All right, peace.